Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110, as always, is the telephone number. And guys, follow me on X for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area at Brett underscore Jensen. And if you follow me on X, then you would realize our next guest, Deanna Ballard, is coming in studio with me for the first 30 minutes of the show. She's running for lieutenant governor. She's currently a state senator, and her family lives up in Lincoln County. I actually know about Cat Square. So, first of all, Deanna, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great being with you and been looking forward to this for a little while now. Okay, so let's talk about, this is the first question that I ask everybody. Why, when did you decide to wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm running for lieutenant governor? How did that process happen? Well, as you mentioned, I did serve in the state Senate for three and a half terms. Uh, so I've actually had folks that have put the bug in my ear along the way during my time, about seven years in the making, and uh, had folks really encourage me to continue to run statewide. And so as I finished my service in the Senate, I really just prayed about it and really just decided, okay, I think this is the time, this is the the pathway, this is the opportunity, and really got up one morning and was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then once you commit, you're all in, you're full throttle and wholehearted. So I'm just excited about the opportunity, too. And again, got a lot of encouragement, got asked to consider it along the way, and so uh, just really um, excited about what's ahead. What was the family reaction? Oh, my family's great. So uh, my parents still live in Lincoln County. They're super excited. They love working the polls. They've always been the best poll workers. Um, And then a lot of my extended family, like even across the state, all of a sudden now they feel very um, just motivated. They can be involved and engaged. Whereas, you know, when you're running for Senate, you're in a specific district. And so I had been up in the mountains, Uh, been up there actually for 14 years. So you know, now they all feel like they can be a part of it, and um, so I've got I've got them all working pretty hard. You know, good labor. Family's always good for volunteer work. So everything that I've seen, every poll that I've seen, everyone that I've talked to, political insiders, Republican insiders, up in Raleigh, locally, everywhere else across <laughs> the state, that they believe that you're one of the top three candidates. So how do you get from being in the top three to being the number one? Oh. That takes a lot of continued grassroots strategy, getting in front of the right groups in the right time and the right amount of people, which also means it requires getting on, you know, using media, using social media, using, you know, TV media and what markets you're kind of leaning into. Uh, But I would say, you know, what really distinguishes me from, let's say, you've got the top three. I'm considered part of that. I mean, what what really separates me, I think, from the pack is I'm a proven I'm a proven leader. I've delivered. I've, I've fought the fight. I have gone toe-to-toe with Democrats. I've gone toe-to-toe with even some of my own Republicans to a degree. Um, but really, I've uh, supported and championed a lot of our families and communities across the state, particularly during the pandemic. I mean, it was my bill that the governor vetoed when it came time to reopening our schools. And so I was able to, um, he called me later and within a week and was like, hey, let's talk about this. And so I was able to get that done and cross the finish line. Uh, But I could not have done that with moms and dads uh, without mom and dads across the state also leaning in and stepping up, too. So I think really leaning into uh, my proven track record in the Senate, you know, um, and continuing to really just invest in connecting with people. I mean, that's that's what this relies on is voters and communities really engaging and being informed about who's on the ballot. Talk about that conversation with the governor. So you. Proposed the bill as a state senator to reopen schools. He vetoed it. 
and then called you a week later. What was that conversation like? He was like, you know, I think he was feeling the pressure of families who were actually standing outside of his the governor's mansion protesting and enough was enough, I think, in his mind. And I mean, he he I mean, he was very willing to talk and to cooperate um, while also making sure that we were, quote unquote, you know, um, still using data and science as, you know, metrics to ensure that we can continue to protect the kids in the classroom. So it was not probably an easy call for him to make and a conversation. But at the end of the day, we did do a joint press conference, um, really announcing the reopening and the, um, you know, the full support uh, from both parties on actual the bill itself when it came to came to fruition. And it was um, it came to pass. I think when he signed it, it became law. So it was pretty quick at that point. So you mean like data and science in terms of hey, if you have a food truck outside a brewery, it's okay to open because that's data and science. But if you're a bar, you right. can't open. You mean, <laughs> exactly. you, mean, you mean that data and science? Yes, exactly. <laughs> data. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Deanna Ballard. She is running for lieutenant governor. Um, her family's up in Lincoln County. She's a state senator. So I'm curious, you know, when you look at lieutenant governor, a lot of people view it pretty much the same way as the vice president. What can you accomplish as a lieutenant governor? I think that's exciting. And I think that's where there's a lot of room for um, an individual to really step into the role and own it and make it something more than maybe what folks might see it as, as really just kind of a bully pulpit. You actually, as lieutenant governor, folks, if you don't um, know what the roles and responsibilities are, you actually do preside over the state senate, which I've served in the senate, so I understand those rules of engagement. Uh, You actually sit on the state board of K-12, so public instruction. I chaired education policy and appropriations in the Senate. So I understand those dynamics um, and those relationships. And then you also serve on the state board of community colleges. So there's a lot of room, uh, I think, for an individual to come in and continue to do a lot of policy work and implementing and protecting kind of the integrity of the statutes that maybe the intent of the legislature has put forth. Sometimes when it gets to the agency level, things aren't always perhaps um, executed or implemented in a way that, you know, was intended. So I think what can happen is, you know, you have a more voice, continue to have a stronger voice in education and really walking out. um, You know, I've been on the front end now of policymaking, and this will be a great opportunity to be on kind of that back end and um, putting it forth for, you know, our boots on the ground to really execute and implement But I also am a big champion of uh, workforce development, and that's something that I really kind of want to own and that I have a vision for and ideas about how to be more involved and be on the front end of that with businesses across North Carolina. We are the number one state for business, um, which I've been fortunate to be a part of a legislature that has really garnered, you know, and highlighted that success and hallmarked it to a degree. Um, But I'm also you know, just believe we can deliver the number one workforce. And I have championed our community college system, trades, skills, left and right. And I have a proven record on that, too. So I think the lieutenant governor can be more than just sort of a voice and even a, a lobbyist for the people of sorts. I mean, you can actually do work. You can actually execute. You can actually step into those hard conversations because I've had to have them um, and really fight for, you know, what um you know, the communities and the families are wanting and what the people are looking for in terms of how do I access jobs? How do I get resources for this? Where does that exist? And really informing and educating people on how to make that happen. Well, let's be honest. I mean, most lieutenant governors are MIA once they take office. <laughs> I mean, and they are. Yeah. They're not even showing up at the Senate. They're not showing up where they're supposed to be going. I mean, they're just MIA. You don't see them. You don't hear from them. I mean, 
regardless of the party, they mm-hmm. just go MIA. Mm. Yeah, that's a shame because that's something having served in the legislature and having a respect for the actual body itself in terms of, um, you know, the Senate chamber. I mean, that's one thing I'm committed to is showing up. And I think, you know, having served 200,000 constituents in the high country, so folks, I served about five to seven counties in any given time um, up in Boone and Blowing Rock, you know, you show up, you're responsive. And my constituents would tell you that. In fact, I think it was a hallmark of my service and my tenure in the Senate was I was responsive, I was visible, I was present, and, you know, always ready to to, to take their calls, even sometimes at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, but I did. All right, so when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Deanna Ballard. She's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side. So 11 people? Nine? Yes, 11? 11. 11. Asking Robin, 31 flavors right there. Good <laughs> uh, but we'll continue our conversation with Deanna Ballard when we return. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT on Breaking with Brett Jensen. I am Brett Jensen. We're going up until 8 o'clock tonight as we continue our primary preview. And we got Deanna Ballard. She's current state senator. She's from the Denver area of North Carolina, not Colorado. And she's running for lieutenant governor, one of 11 candidates running on the Republican side for the primary, which is, by the way, March 5th. And I believe early voting starts February 17th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, negative on that. Oh, when Thursday, February 15th. The 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. That's okay. right. See, Less I, than a week away, folks. There you go. I, gosh, I, I'm glad you corrected me. I'm glad you're correct. <laughs> By the way, I've been saying the 17th for the last two days, and I've interviewed three candidates, and none of the three candidates it, it corrected me. You're the first one to correct me. Leave it to a woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I'm used to being corrected by a woman, so that's, so that's it's par for the course. So you're from Lincoln County, the eastern part of Lincoln County. I'm going to play some stereotypes here with you. Oh, I, no. I can because I'm from Gaston County. So yeah. <laughs> I love my Lincoln County folks. Uh. Second Amendment and guns. Thoughts on that? Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that worry that, um, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the mantra is, oh, my gosh, they're going to take away our guns. But there was also talk that maybe North Carolina would be a gun sanctuary state type situation. So what's your thoughts on all of that? Oh, man. You know, I'm a pro Second Amendment. I mean, I've been endorsed in, you know, by NRA and grassroots North Carolina. I grew up with, a, you know, a shooting range in the backyard, actually. I mean, Lincoln County. Since you're talking about Lincoln <laughs> County and Eastern Lincoln County, uh, so but you know my parents also my dad taught me you know safety, gun safety, and really how best to protect myself. I mean I was held at gunpoint at the age of 17, I think it was 16, 17 years old. Really? So in Lincoln County, nonetheless. Were you so, really? Yeah. So you know I have learned early on really how best to sort of take care of myself and protect myself, and believe that we all have the right to be able to do that. Uh, so I'm supportive. I mean, you know, just, yeah. What's What advantages would you have from growing up in a, like, I know Denver is relatively close to Charlotte, but Lincoln County is still considered rural. What would you, con- what advantages do you have from growing up in a rural area? Oh, goodness. I would say that I have a perspective that, you know, hard work pays off. People do pay attention. That encourages other rural communities across the state so they don't feel forgotten or feel left out. Having, you know, grown up um, just in the spirit of, you know, my parents really instilled in me a strong hard work ethic, you know, and the power and the dignity of work and a job um, and how fruitful and rewarding that can be. 
So uh, those are kind of a few things. I would say a sense of community. Um, Lincoln County really instilled in me a, you know, and I think North Carolina is really great at this at large, too. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. But we're, we can be very neighborly people um, and genuinely kind of look out for one another and take care of each other in those times of just, you know, overwhelmed um, need and just stress. So very, um, I'm very excited about what my upbringing and then characteristics and qualities of really valuing every individual um, and, you know, their background and really listening and engaging and cooperating with, you know, ideas and, you know, priorities for various regions of the state. So every every county's different. You know, I served probably at one time I had the most I had seven counties. So you learn real quick, you know, how to how to really kind of meet people where they are how you engage and how you listen and then, you know, show deliverables and deliver for them. So, you know, I would say that's something that was instilled in me even, you know, from early on in good old Lincoln County, too. Just a few more minutes here with Deanna Bell. She's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side, one of 11 candidates. And most of the polls that I've seen and insiders that I've talked to believe that she's a top three candidate out of the 11. All right. So let's get into a couple other things here. So. And I and I asked this to the people running for governor. I've asked this for people running for Congress. Republicans and Democrats, regardless of the party, generally have their philosophy, and all Democrats generally have the same philosophy, and all Republicans generally have the same philosophy. But what separates you from the other candidates? Because is it just your background, or is there a difference in philosophy about being a lieutenant governor that, that is maybe different from some of the other people that you're running against? Oh, gosh. Um I would say, like I've mentioned before, too, really kind of the proven track record, the work, the background um, of having served in the Senate, understanding how policy gets done, how to work, um, how to work with and collaborate with others. Maybe perhaps, you know, either side of the aisle sometimes can be very singularly focused in how to get something done. And I think it's important to be able to kind of step in and have those hard conversations, uh, stick true to your convictions and your principles uh, but also know that, you know, there are kind of multiple ways sometimes to get something done. And so thinking through that and working, you know, uh, collaboratively uh, to be able to deliver is is pretty powerful at a time when, you know, we can tend to be very isolated. And so I think I have a real strong knack for being able to, you know, still move the needle forward. I mean, when I when I worked to reopen schools, we didn't have a supermajority in the Senate. We had a majority. And so I had to work with both chambers, both sides of the aisle, so many different personalities. Ladies and gentlemen, the legislature is filled uh, with dynamic characters. So uh, I would say that, you know, I would say, yeah, a little bit of just my philosophy of kind of how the legislature works, how to get things done, um, how to serve, when to serve, how showing up and how critical that is. Then also just the fact that I have a proven track record to go against, you know, any of the Democrats that are coming to the table that have served in the Senate. I think there are two Democrats now that um, have served in the Senate uh, that are running for lieutenant governor, too. And I do believe compared to some of my other um, candidates, my 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 opponents on the Republican side, that I have a proven record that can go toe to toe with either one of those candidates. So um, I think that's pretty strong to uh, to to imp- Impress upon people, you know, how to keep Republicans in charge in Raleigh. Last thing that I ask every single candidate, teacher, police officer, doesn't matter who I'm speaking to, athlete, is there anything that I did not ask you that you want to talk about? Or is there just one final thing that you'd like to say because the floor is yours? Oh, thanks for that. 
Man, um, I'm I'm North Carolina born and bred, and I love this state uh, with my whole heart. I have served it and sacrificed wholeheartedly, um, but I just want folks out there to know they're completely worthwhile. They're worthwhile every effort. I mean, I have put I don't know how many miles on my car. I've earned I don't know how many Chick-fil-A points at this point <laughs> on the road. But, ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know that I am eager to serve, ready to serve you, and um, could consider it a real privilege and an honor. So I'm here on the show, and I'm going to ask for your vote um, and just look forward to really continuing to earn your support. So pay attention um, to what's going on in the lieutenant governor's race. There's a lot at stake even for the long-term health of, the, of North Carolina. I think you need to remember that. Um, and I just ask that you you know follow me on a lot of my Instagram, my Facebook, my social media, it's Deanna Ballard NC. You can hit me up on um, all three of those sort of X, everything. So thank you. Deanna Ballard, state senator running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side. The primary is March 5th. Early voting starts February 15th. So thank you on that one, Deanna. <laughs> uh, but seriously, thank you for coming in tonight. I know there are a lot of different things that you could be doing on a Friday. So I really do appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. Thank you. All right, when we come back, let's get into a couple of other things as we just wrapped up our primary preview. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Now let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. Okay, so guys, I've got to tell you about this horrible story. It's a tragic story. It's a sad story, and it involves Britta Marshall. Britta Marshall's son was killed in a drunk driving accident last year. It was about maybe 10 months ago. And the man who killed her son was sentenced the other day, two days ago, to just 30 days probation, 30 days in jail and two years probation. You know, obviously, Britta Marshall is not happy about this. And she actually begged the Charlotte District Attorney Office to not allow that, not cut a plea deal of just 30 days. So... I had a chance and to speak with Britta because she was kind enough to speak to me about the situation and just how awful she thinks this situation is and how she thinks the man got away with murder. Britta, I want to start off with that particular day when you received the phone call. And if at any moment you don't want to talk about this, I completely understand and that you're not going to upset me or hurt my feelings. I just want to make sure that you're comfortable talking about this situation. After you found out and received the call, that what had happened, that your son had been hit by a drunk driver. When did you start getting some of the information as to what actually happened? Were you asking the officers how it happened or what happened? Because I think the natural reaction would have been to do that. Did you do that? And if so, what were you told? The detective Cupper had said that Mr. Jackson uh, crossed paths of my son While my son was traveling through the intersection, he said my son did absolutely nothing wrong. First and foremost, I remember him saying that. Those words specifically, my son did nothing wrong. And according to the witnesses, according to everyone, my son was driving very good. There, He wasn't doing anything wrong. Coming upon the scene, they saw that Mr. Jackson was in his vehicle, did not exit the vehicle, not one time. I I, I want to stop you right there for a second. Are you saying that the person who hit your son and killed your son after hitting your son just stayed in his vehicle? 
and did not get out to try and help your son. He, he did, and the forward and rear-facing dash cams confirmed that. So for the last 11 months and five days, I was wondering to myself, who is this man? This is unusual. Forward and rear-facing dash cams for this man who's 71 years old. That's highly unusual. Who is this man? They're going to pull the dash cams? And, and they told me just before Christmas that the dash cams revealed that he did not get out of his vehicle, but they confirmed what the detective had told us, that um, upon arriving to the scene and arriving to the his vehicle they could smell the odor of alcohol coming from him this was also in the court document as well that that led them to him being drink that he was drinking i'm talking with brenda marshall whose son died by the hands of a drunk driver um just over a year ago or right around a year ago when a 71 year old man who blew over the legal limit hit her son, and then refused to get out of the car, at least according to Britta Marshall. So a year goes by or nearly a year goes by and you're waiting for trial and you're waiting for trial and everything else. Then all of a sudden you find out that they're offering him a plea deal. The, the district attorney's office here in Charlotte is offering him a plea deal of 30 days in jail and two years probation. What were your thoughts on that? And did you agree with that? I had no say in it. I had no control over it. My opinions and feelings did not matter to the district attorney's office. They had, in my opinion, already cut the deal. And they didn't tell me it was a split 30-day either. I found that out in court. And I found out in court by the defense attorney that he was an ex-police officer. And that made it even worse that he was an ex-police officer for two reasons. He knew better, but he used his knowledge to get this sweet deal. He didn't even bother getting out of the car. I'm talking with Brendan Marshall, whose son, Darren Lee Marshall Jr., or DJ as he went by, who was killed about a year ago due to a drunk driver, and Roy James Jackson, who was 71 at the time and 72 now, was charged in the death of Darren Lee Marshall Jr. So, Britta, when you hear about situations like this all over the country, and unfortunately it's not that uncommon, where a mother or a father or a family is trying to fight for the justice for their deceased child or deceased relative, Will you continue to try and gain justice or what you feel should be justice for your son? Yes. Any mother, any parent would be screaming for justice as I am. Can you imagine my shock in knowing that the going rate for killing someone under the influence, especially by an ex-cop, is 30 days split? which means he doesn't even have to do it consecutively. Can you imagine the shock on my face? These people are our elected officials. Are they doing their job? Are they doing their job or are they inflating their numbers to get their pay? Are they covering each other's backs and supporting each other while the innocent lay in the road suffering with a broken nose and a broken neck and bruises all down the right side of their body. What about my son's record? 
I'm speaking with Britta Marshall, whose son, Darren Lee Marshall Jr., or DJ as he was known by, was struck and killed by Roy James Jackson, 71 years old at the time, now 72, while he was under the influence of alcohol. A couple of days ago, he was sentenced to 30 days in jail and two years probation. So, Britta, I'm curious, where do you go from here? What's next? Where do I go from here? Um, I hope to make people aware, aware of these laws, aware of what these officials, elected officials are doing, and aware of, wow, the system that they have on looking out for their own, even their ex-police officers. Like, it's astonishing to me as to how I was completely left blindsided and no mother, no mother should have to face what I had to endure. So that was Brenda Marshall, mother of Darren Lee Marshall Jr., who was struck and killed by Roy James Jackson while he was driving under the influence. The accident took place about a year ago, and then a couple of days ago, Jackson reached a plea deal with serving just 30 days and getting two years probation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So when we come back, you're actually going to hear the incredible recorded audio of Britta Marshall pleading with members of the Charlotte District Attorney's Office to not offer a 30-day deal, and you will hear their responses in return. That's coming up next. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back with Breaking with Brett Jensen here on this Friday night. Just a few more minutes until we send you off into the weekend. So what you're going to hear now is the recording, the tape recording between Britta Marshall, the mother who lost her son to a drunk driver, and Bill Bunting. Now, according to Britta Marshall, Bill Bunting is Monica Noble's supervisor. According to internet searches, Bunting is the homicide unit chief and the assistant district attorney here in Mecklenburg County. He's the voice that you're going to hear as well as Britta Marshall's. You'll be able to tell the two apart. So I need to tell you that because this conversation was about 30 minutes long, I can't obviously play the entire thing, so I took bits and pieces of it and put them together. But there will be gaps of silence where you'll understand where one sentence ends and another sentence maybe further down or a couple minutes down begins. None of this is taken out of context. I think everything is in context. And then you'll be able to hear both people speak. But I just wanted to let you know that this was not one continuous thing. I had to sort of splice some of this together just so you guys understand and can get the full grasp of everything. So here's just that heartbreaking audio between Britta Marshall, the mom who lost her son to a drunk driver, and Bill Bunting trying to explain why they only asked for 30 days as opposed to seeking a much stiffer sentence. But I'm not an idiot, and I'm going to fight for the rights of my son. Y'all are supposed to be doing that. And you cannot tell me 30 days is fighting for my son. So I don't know who's in whose pocket. I don't know the scope of it, but this man didn't even bother getting out of the car to check on my son. He didn't run because God knows if he would have ran, he would have been done doing time. How true is that statement? So forgive me because I'm pretty upset, but I need to know how y'all came up with offering this man 30 days for my son's life. Because if it would have been your child, you picking your child up in a box because this man didn't see him because of the alcohol in his system, 
then you're going to tell me 30 days is acceptable? You're going to tell me that you're going to take that as a parent. You're going to stomach that. Because I don't know about y'all, but I cannot. So I need to know what on God's green earth makes you think that 30 days is an acceptable offer. I, did, I deserve answers. And my son sure certainly deserves justice. I did not go to social media because y'all said that y'all wanted y'all did not want me to hurt the case. Remember that, Monica? I remember. I waited for y'all to do y'all's job. 30 days, I do not feel like y'all are doing your job. And I'm sure you can understand why. And if you can't, well, we definitely need to readdress that. I would rather take my chances with the judge to seek justice. My son's defenders. Not my defenders, my son's defenders. You didn't see my son, did you? Did you look at the things that he did to my son? Did you see his broken nose or his broken neck or the bruises covering his body because I saw them? Do you understand? I saw them. I would take my chances in hell for this boy. He was a good boy, and he deserves more. He deserves, God help me, more than 30 days. And I don't care. I think, I really think that any judge, any judge to let him walk with no jail time, how long did he spend in jail? Can you tell me if he spent one night in jail? One night, I can tell you no, he was bailed. Because my son is what, a nobody? Y'all don't want to take that chance and fight for him? Y'all are his defenders. Defend him. That is y'all's one job, to defend my son. And people like him. Yes, I have emotions. Yes, I'm, I'm very much attached to this. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he chose. He chose to risk my son and every child's life that was on that campus. Because my son took the hit. I picked my child up in a box. I know that my son suffered in that road for his last minutes on this earth when this man couldn't even get out of his vehicle because he followed the protocol to the letter to cover his assets so he would get out of jail. Yeah, I'm very furious right now. I kept this out of social media. I did. But I don't think I'm going to anymore. And I don't think I'm going to remain silent because if y'all cannot defend my son, I will defend him as a mother. That is what I need to do. And I'm sorry that y'all don't understand that. I cannot heal myself knowing the damage that this man had done to me because he left me and DJ's brother a victim. Miss Marshall, what I can tell you is that it is highly likely that he could plead guilty to felony death and be sentenced to straight probation. Our offer assures that he actually does some time in, in, in jail if he chooses 
to accept the offer. Okay. Not, I mean, there's there's not going to be a number that's going to that's going to make you feel better. I I, I completely. I can assure you, six months will make me feel better than thirty days. I can assure you that six months will make me feel better than thirty days. Miss Marshall, I'm trying to ensure he goes to jail. Mm. Would it be enough for you? It, it is very possible that he pleads not guilty, or he pleads guilty. He could ask the judge to to send to plead just plead straight up, ignore our offer, and be sentenced to straight probation. That is 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 highly likely. I have to look at the facts of the case and his his driving, with the exception of the accident, is acceptable. The entire the entire drive that he's going home. Um. He is not speeding. He's a prior record level one. He doesn't have any history other than a couple speeding tickets from 2001 and 2013. These are all things that the defense attorney is going to tell the judge when it comes time for sentencing. He's, in the eyes of a defense attorney, he's actually a sympathetic defendant. I'm not saying that in my eyes. I'm saying that in the eyes of a defense attorney, and he would be a sympathetic defendant. He's somebody that a defense attorney could sell a judge on a, on, a, uh, on a probationary sentence. And that's why I think it would be highly likely that if we, if, if we, if he, if we, if he chose to not accept our offer, he could be sentenced to probation. I'm doing my best to ensure that he does some time in jail. I have the benefit, however, of being um, removed and being objective I'm telling you, there is no issue in proving that he was drinking and driving. There is no issue in proving that he is guilty of felony death. The issue is the sentence. And a judge is likely going to sentence him to probation. Just a horribly, horribly tragic story. And the amount of frustration, I could not even begin to fathom. And I don't think you could either, unless something like this actually happened to you. It's just a sad story, but I thought it was an important one to get out there. And the fact that she, the mom actually spoke to us and spoke to me about this is uh, just an incredible part on her part. All right, everyone. So with that, have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And we'll talk to you again next week as we continue our preview to the primaries. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.